Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with part one of a two-part interview with John Warren, Vice President and General Counsel of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. During this interview, Warren explains the globalization of fraud, highlighting the growing rate of occupational fraud, which is affecting everything from banks and hospitals to government agencies and public administration offices. John, before we get started with today's call, could you tell us a little bit about your role with the association? Sure. Uh, I am the, well, as you said, I'm the vice president and general counsel of ACFE, uh, which means I'm essentially the chief legal officer of, of the association. We've got about 50,000 members uh, throughout, the, throughout the world. Um, and in addition to my legal duties, I also, every two years, work on uh, the study we're going to talk about today, the report to the nation on occupational fraud, which is now the report to the nations on occupational fraud since for the first time we've expanded it beyond just U.S. cases. So, and this is something we do just to um, sort of educate the public and our members about what's going on with occupational fraud, how it's committed, uh, what the threats are, how it's detected, and so forth. It's just uh, kind of a public service thing that ACFE provides every two years. And what is occupational fraud? Can you help us define that and why we should care about it? Sure. Occupational fraud, essentially, the, the technical definition is the use of one's occupation for personal enrichment through the deliberate misuse or misapplication of the employing organization's resources or assets. But boiled down, what we're really talking about is internal fraud. Any Any scheme in which the, the perpetrator is committing fraud against his or her employer. So that could be anything from asset misappropriation, things like skimming or billing fraud or payroll fraud, to bribery and corruption, to the big financial statement fraud you see like Warcom and Enron and so forth. It runs the gamut. But the key is that somebody defrauding their employer. And what are the key takeaways from the report from a financial, government, and healthcare perspective? Well, there are a number of things uh, that, that were interesting from the report. Uh, one is just the prevalence of fraud. I, we, we continue to see this every time we, we do this study. We ask uh, our participants, and by the way, the, the people who provide the information here are certified fraud examiners. We had about 1,800 cases, and these are people who spend their time, their, their professional careers, detecting and preventing fraud. And their estimate is the typical organization loses about 5% of its revenue annually to occupational fraud. That's a huge number. Uh, so the first takeaway is just this, we're talking about an enormous threat is probably underreported. Uh, in addition, what we're looking at is, is the fact that we're still not very good at, at catching these, these crimes. Uh, the typical scheme we looked at, and this is per case, not per organization, but per case, lasted 18 months and cost $160,000. About a quarter of the cases we looked at cost over a million, so huge numbers. And then getting back to the 18-month thing, what we're finding is we're, we're still not very good at detection. The things, the things that accounting, the accounting industry and profession is typically focused on to catch fraud, internal controls and audits and so forth, those are all very valuable. But in terms of detecting fraud, what we see the biggest impact comes from non-accounting controls, things like uh, tips, uh, having hotlines or reporting mechanisms to encourage employees and managers to report fraud, having employee training and management training to identify factors 
that may lead to fraud. Those, those are the things I would say that someone looking at this would really take away, is that we can't just rely on controls and audits to keep fraud from happening. We've got heavily regulated industries, you know, financial industry, the financial industry, the banking industry has tons of controls, yet they're getting hit with fraud uh, in, in this report at a higher rate than any other industry. Uh, government's seeing a lot of fraud. Now, they do a fairly good job at, at minimizing losses, but they're still top looking at six-figure losses per scheme. So I'd say the big takeaway is don't just rely on controls and audits. You need to think about fraud in a slightly different light. Can you talk a little bit about some of the differing detection methods that are being used that may differ from one organization or one region to the next and maybe give some background on why different approaches are important? Sure. Well, wh one of the things we do in the report every year is we we ask a very simple question, how is the fraud detected? And again, just for background, these are we're looking at 1,800 fraud cases that have already occurred and what we're trying to accomplish is understand how it happened, what factors led to it, how it was caught, and take that information to give it to organizations so they can hopefully be better at catching them in the future. Every time we ask the question, how was it detected, the number one response is tips. I still think most organizations are looking at, when, when they're looking at fraud prevention or detection, they're looking at their controls, their internal audits departments, their, their external audits. Those are valuable tools, you obviously have to have those, but when you're really trying to catch fraud, what you need to think about is who is likely to know fraud's going on, and typically it's your other employees, your managers, and what an organization really needs to do is create an environment where people know how to report it, know how to recognize it, feel comfortable reporting it, and you know can recognize the warning signs. So. And does the report include suggestions or perhaps training methods that would help a financial institution or a government agency, for instance, train its employees? Sure. Well, the, re the report doesn't go into how training should be conducted. We're looking at simply was it conducted and what impact did it have. A lot of organizations that do fraud training, the, the key is to, like, there are behavioral factors that go into this. One of the things we like to say is fraud isn't an accounting problem. It's, it's a human problem. If you've got employees who are living beyond their means, if you've got employees who seem to be under an undue amount of pressure, who are, you know, under high earnings earnings targets that are impossible to meet, or, or who won't share their duties or won't take time off, things like that are red flags that I don't think your typical auditor is normally trained to look for, and those are. Uh, Yet tying in with it being a human problem also ties in with why fraud is a global concern. Right, absolutely. One of the things, as I, as I mentioned, this is the first time we've ever opened the study up to, uh, to cases outside the U.S., and one of the things that really struck us was how similar the patterns were outside the U.S. Uh, as opposed to the, our domestic cases. I mean, there's a few differences. Corruption levels were slightly higher um, in, in some regions and so forth, but basically we're looking at the same problem all over the world. It's a tremendous problem for our CFEs out there in the field trying to deal with this. You have data breaches, data security, that's one of the um, emerging 
categories of fraud that, it, in my personal opinion, is just going to continue to grow uh, over the next few years. I mean, there's a tremendous... Frauds essentially are crimes of opportunity. Uh, it's like the old saying, why do you rob banks? Well, that's where the money is. People are going to go, criminals are going to go where there's opportunity to steal something of value. And information is becoming such a value or has become such a valuable asset that I, I expect we'll see that continue to grow. So uh, data breaches are, are a real threat that I don't think has peaked yet. Now, you know, we're talking about fraud generally, but going back to what you were saying earlier about um, kind of looking for the so-called behavioral red flags when it comes to occupational fraud, um, how could organizations and businesses do a better job during the interview process? Well, it's a good idea during the interview process to try to weed out candidates who are likely to com commit fraud. Obviously, that that's a, a goal, and, and the better you can be at that, uh, the more effective you're going to be at limiting fraud losses. I'm not sure how much we can do at that stage just because the the research, going back to a, a guy named Donald Cressy in the 50s who did the first serious research on this, what we found is the people who commit occupational fraud by and large are not career criminals and don't have a history of criminal activity. In our study, I think 7% had a prior criminal record and something like 9 or 10% had any sort of past employment issue that was fraud-related. Usually when these schemes happen, it's an ordinary employee, a trusted employee, otherwise law-abiding, who for whatever reason goes off the rails. And there's a model called the fraud triangle that says there are three factors that really play into this. It's, it's need, opportunity, and rationalization. And the need comes when you take a person who's in a financial bind. You know, they can't pay their mortgage or they've got big health care bills or, or whatever it may be. You combine that pressure with an opportunity where someone says, notices or realizes that their job allows them access to money and they see a way to take it without getting caught. And usually the third component is rationalization, meaning usually they will tell themselves, they don't think of themselves as criminals, so they will say, well, I'm just borrowing this to get by, I'll pay it back later. What inevitably happens is they take a small amount, they see if they're going to get caught when they don't, they take a little more and a little more, and pretty soon it spirals out of control to the point where they can never hope to pay it back. And that's one of the reasons why we see like these cases go 18, 20 months and so forth before they get caught. When you're looking at a serious fraud prevention program and fraud detection program, what you want to do is focus on the risk areas. We don't want to be accusing employees of committing fraud when they're, you know, just maybe having a bad month or something. But what you want to do is just be aware, have your, and this is where training comes in. If your other employees are aware, if your managers are, are aware of what the factors are, then maybe they notice something. And maybe instead of a scheme lasting for 18 months and costing your organization $200,000, maybe somebody notices something in the third month when it's only cost you know, 10000 or whatever. And that's what we're really talking about here. You don't, you're never going to eliminate all fraud, but what you're trying to do is minimize your losses and increase your ability to detect at an early stage. Thank you, John. Again, this is John Warren, Vice President and General Counsel of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. 
Be sure to watch the site in coming days for part two, during which Warren discusses the unique challenges facing financial institutions, governments, and the healthcare industry when it comes to fighting fraud from a global perspective. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.